My name is Robert Hawkins. It's uh, 6.42 a.m. on Saturday, May 23rd. Approximately seven hours ago, something attacked the city. I don't know what it is. Uh, if, if you found this tape, I mean, if you're watching this right now, then you probably know more about it than I do. Welcome back to Geordie Films Class, where we teach classes about class films. Today, we are grabbing our cameras, pointing them at the sky, and reflecting on the cinematic impact that 9-11 had on the contemporary American blockbuster, highlighting Cloverfield as the strongest example of allegorical representation that truly tackles this difficult issue. Toon Class is now in session. By the turn of the millennium, New York City was used to being destroyed. Throughout the late 1990s, the urban center was subject to a wild variety of repetitive cycles of widespread destruction and rebuilding, as a never-ending tirade of alien invaders, creatures, and mutated monsters carved their way through the concrete jungle. It was a common sight for most movie-going audiences to see their beloved landmarks torn down and blown apart, its rubble strewn from Manhattan to the Bronx for their Independence Day or their inevitable Armageddon. But then it happened for real, and the innocent glee in destroying their country was lost. The 9-11 terrorist attacks shook the world like no previous event ever had. Though, due to the historical significance, emotional weight and recency of the event, any dramatizations of the two hijacked airliners striking the World Trade Center and the extent of the death and destruction experienced on 9-11 have remained a persistent taboo in American film. Although some dramatic, realistic films have attempted to recreate the narrative experiences with supposedly sensitive portrayals and multifaceted explorations into each element of the event, such as the build-up, motivations, personal reaction, and the destructive event itself, this serious saturation is low, and usually critically received by both audiences and scholars alike with negative distaste. For an obvious example, a film like Oliver Stone's World Trade Center was quick to release and badly received. Lieutenant, I was down on B1. The shafts there are buckling. There's going to be people trapped in those elevators. Jeez. It just took us an hour to get up to 30 in Tower 1. I didn't want us over in 2. What happened in 2? Consider also the span of films portraying torture as a necessary but unfortunate circumstance of warfare. In the immediate aftermath, America needed confirmation bias and reassurance and both The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty provide patriotic affirmation following a time of crisis, without dwelling on any images of potential consequences. I could have had you killed in Karachi, but I didn't. I let you live so that you and I could talk. Then you beat me when my hands are tied. So I won't talk to you. Well, life isn't always fair, my friend. Of course, there still remains some ethical confusion around the use of 9-11 evoking imagery in contemporary American blockbuster cinema, and whether its possible use as convenient shorthand for trauma and a dubious source of entertainment is culturally insensitive. Pointedly, 9-11 was paradoxically both erased from cinema screens and returned to in film after film. A movie like Lilo and Stitch may have altered the completed footage to remove any accidentally explicit reference to the disaster for fear of unintentional insensitivity or multiple television shows which removed open reference to the World Trade Center itself, 
and marketing campaigns that were changed to avoid any mention of possible city-bound destruction. Equally, however, contemporary American blockbuster cinema is completely unable to avoid these unconscious illusions by nature of the visual spectacle of the disaster itself. It remains in the public memory, waiting to be exploited throughout the filmic destruction. Subsequently, each film which tackles this has an inherent dichotomy behind its messaging. They could be seen as a cynical repackaging of cultural trauma designed to sell movie tickets, exploiting the imagery for a quick and cheap emotional response without much consideration for the sensitivity, even inspiring in the most worst cases, as Stone implies, pleasure from the exciting 9-11 inspired display. Or they could function as a palpable manifestation of that very same trauma and an attempt to come to terms with it in ways deemed socially acceptable by society at large. What's going on? Maybe you should have left town a little bit earlier, right? This conflicted reading has been reflected throughout the history of genre blockbuster features, coined as the imagination of disaster by Susan Sontag. This concept calls upon the intersection between a naive and largely debased commercial art product and the most profound dilemmas of the contemporary situation. Juxtaposingly, throughout history, science fiction and horror feature films both reflect world-bound anxieties and they serve to allay them through their fantastical narratives and implicit monstrous representations. Similarly, Douglas Kellner uses the application of a term coined as transcoding in order to reference how specific political discourses, such as the War on Terror, are translated or encoded into media texts. A multitude of fantastical, allegorically bound films can have critiques of the contemporary American government system buried below calamitous creatures, heroic protagonists, acting under varying levels of subtlety. Despite the many explicit and implicit restrictions, a variety of evocative disastrous imagery ranging from images of planes colliding with skyscrapers, tall buildings collapsing, debris falling from the skies, and scenes of dust-caked panic crowds fleeing disaster were thrown onto American screens in the aftermath of the event. This saturation of recognisable imagery often found its home in the allegorically anthropomorphised critters and creatures science fiction and horror features that plagued the cinematic landscape in the early 2000s. In many ways, Cloverfield, functioning as an American attempt to utilize situational cues from the Japanese kaiju eiko tradition, itself famous for the allegorical power of its cinematic monsters, whilst using its American stages to confront contemporary issues in the US imaginary, is a perfectly allegorized exploration of the event itself. The effective exploitation of recognizable and apocalyptic imagery is here, throwing omnipresent dust, the falling scraps of paper, and the images of fleeing civilians in a clear reference to the 9-11 terrorist attacks. A litany of destroyed buildings collapse, throwing steadily advancing clouds towards the protagonists, while simultaneously obscuring the monster from view trapping individuals in place with little hope of rescue, and presenting two twin towers collapsed and nightmarish in the most explicit illusion in the film. This replication of recognisable and evocative apocalyptic imagery is a commonality to most American blockbusters following the event. Science fiction and horror features return to the panic crowds, the collapsing towers and dust clouds, with disturbing ease, though as mentioned, maybe, in the modern day, this is an unconscious connection.
Crafted with a specific awareness, however, Spielberg's War of the Worlds contains many sequences wherein the contemporary fears are transcoded onto the aliens of the past. Floating clothing, a crashed plane, or frightened individuals reduced to atom and dust. In the modern cinematic landscape, perhaps unconsciously, the focus of modern superhero franchises, with their reliance on citywide spectacle and unpersonalized and desensitized destruction, calls to mind a subverted, wishful retelling of the disaster with little focus on the damaging impact throughout. A film like The Avengers or Man of Steel will consistently present wildly exacerbated property damage, yet provide little consideration to the effect this has on humans living within the city. These diluted films simply don't want to tackle the event in all its reality. In Cloverfield, then, this spectacle-focused impact is heightened by the artistic decision to frame the film through the then-highly-popular mode of found footage. Whilst it could be seen as jumping onto a newly researched trend, this decision has a few different cinematic and narrative impacts. First, the style. As Cloverfield's monster is emblematic of the insidious fear of fear itself that characterized the war on terror and its global media coverage, and a large portion of this media coverage was actual found footage, itself an artifact of the event, as much as the millions of singed papers and photos that blanketed the New York City suburbs were, the decision to use an amateur style to build on an established sense of naturalism is clear and effective. It's also stated that the cameras in found footage films take on roles as active agents, and not only operate as simple recording devices, but they become actors. Because of this, the use of this medium keeps the focus of the film on a small group of protagonists, with a singular personal goal, therefore further grounding the narrative and allegorical experience of the characters the audience will align with. In addition, as Cole outlines, this use of individual focus lent by the single camera also reflects public attitudes following the event and the change it incited in perceptions of self and agency in relation to government and the state. We can see this where in Rob's prioritization of the individual over conformity to government strategies, through his ignorance of their protestation as he goes to save Beth, suggesting a clear corresponding attitude in the film to that of the public. Finally, the sincere, horror-heavy tone throughout is equally significant to the power of this allegory. The serious handling and lack of awe at the destruction for both the audience and the characters leaves only tangible, palpable fear. And the decision to remove the creature from the center of the action, following the New Yorkers in the wake of his destructive path, makes the illusion even more impactful. A removal of the fantastical leaves the audience with the allegory laid bare. If there's frequently no creature to see, the audience is simply left with the panic and destruction of the frightened protagonists as they travel around a decaying, collapsing city, and thus the tragic illusion grows more explicit. However, of course, now the innocence in these once spectacular images is lost. As Kellner states, iconography such as the famed decapitated Statue of Liberty, laying discarded and degraded in the streets of New York, speaks to a broader theme at the end of innocence, even for the affluent young, in the era of Bin Laden and Bush Cheney 
where spectacles of terror had become part of everyday life. Likewise, this commitment to the removal of the fantastical as often as possible can also relate to the adoption of relatively unknown actors in the role of protagonists, along with the close-knit chemistry and unspoken history they bring with them. The protagonists are people, New Yorkers, and not particularly fantastic or even very likable at times, but real, and thus unromanticized in the way that Hollywood stars commonly are, and any sense of disillusionment from following them and their visages, as seen in a film like World Trade Center and its odd-choice casting of Nicolas Cage, is subsequently weakened. Crucial to this dark tone is the film's conclusion, wherein after their companions have all been killed in various ways, both Rob and Beth are trapped and killed, and all of Manhattan is destroyed. Cliverfield stands in strong contrast to the other examples identified throughout this exploration, which succumb to positive endings, a sanitized view of the violence and an impersonal study of the human effect. A reversal of the status quo whilst acknowledging the event and drawing on its presence and imagery is ignorant of the event itself. 9-11 didn't end, it continues, into the modern day, its ramifications felt and rippling throughout modern global society, and the cinematic climate that exploits and explores it. Instead, Cloverfield's negative ending reminds viewers of the mood of ultimate nihilism and inevitability permeating in many victims of the event, and suggests that the subsequent distraught that pervaded American culture following the event is unresolved. The final words spoken in the film, though reversed for a mysterious effect, tell that the monster is still alive, and thus the war on terror itself that the creature stands for has not truly been defeated. Whether that's through failed militaristic intervention, or simply the passage of time aimed to provide distance from the event itself. The tragedy lives on, past the film, and past the memories it inspires and brings with it, into the world we all currently live within, waiting for the next tragic time it needs to rear its ugly head and make itself be known. <laughs>